Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Hello, welcome back to Find Your Hum. I am Kirsty, your host, and this is episode 43. Oh, do I have a wonderful conversation about the thyroid for you today. But let me start by acknowledging the Darkinjung people as the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been recorded. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and future and recognise the continuing connection and contribution to this land. I almost can't believe it has taken me this long to record an episode on the thyroid. For such a little gland, the thyroid does have such a big impact on how our bodies run. Literally everything from our sex hormones to our metabolism, our mood to our energy levels, this little gland really does have a a big impact on how sparkly we're feeling, which is why I can't believe it's taken me so long. When thinking about the thyroid, my first thought was that I had to reach out to Lisa and ask her to share her knowledge because she is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things thyroid. I mean, she's even contributed to two textbooks as an expert writer. Lisa was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis one year after having her daughter. And this really has spurred on her passion for all things thyroid and autoimmune. I had the privilege of Lisa guiding me through my studies at uni. And can I just say, I really love the way that she combines complementary medicine so the nutrition and the naturopathy with conventional medicine because they really do work hand in hand, particularly with like diseases and health states like thyroid. You will hear in the podcast that Lisa and I share very similar views on what it is to be healthy. The health is physical as well as mental and spiritual. And she also keeps it super real as she knows what it's like to work towards good health and still have a life. I mean, I remember at uni, Lisa was lecturing, she is a mom, and she was also doing her Masters of Women's Health, as well as looking after her health. So I can just already know that you are going to take away so much from this conversation. Before we dive into the conversation, just want to touch base with ways of which you can work with me. If you are listening to this within the week that this podcast comes out, I have round two of my favorite course, Living in Alignment with Your Unique Timing, kicking off on March 23rd. This is five weeks where I guide women through the magic of the four phases of their cycle. Yep, magic. As someone who has struggled with her period since the day it began, I can tell you it is possible to love it again. Knowing what signs and symptoms to look out for, knowing when to push with life and things you want to get done, knowing when to surrender. Moving through the cycle each month has honestly been key to me getting back my period when I'd lost it and being told I was going into early menopause. It was super key in terms of me having very few and minor endometriosis symptoms, which honestly used to cripple me each month that I touch wood no longer get. Honestly, this is the information that I wish I knew at 16 and you are going to wish that you knew at 16 and can honestly be applied no matter what stage of menstruating or even if you're in menopause that you are. All the info for that course will be in the show notes. I also have limited spaces for one-on-one consults each month. So these include nutrition support, but I also do a lot of emotional and energetic support because healing happens on all levels. And then we have my foundational reset, which is always available. And actually, if you really resonate with anything in this chat that I have with Lisa, I really suggest checking this out. The principles of this reset would be amazing to help give your thyroid a little love. 
and with every purchase of this reset, I match it so another one can be gifted to somebody else who also needs to reset their health. All right, let's get into this episode. So Lisa, what are you currently doing in your life to find your hum? Okay, so I'm actually doing a few different things. So I'll, I'll run through them all. And I actually feel like lockdown has, or, or yeah, isolation has been actually really good for me. Um, I, <laughs> Because I've been able to actually kind of do all these things. So for in finding my harm, I think moving my body is really, really important, but moving it in a way that my body actually enjoys. So I've been doing um, Muay Thai, so Thai kickboxing essentially um and i've been doing that for a year now but maintained it throughout the last year um twice a week every week um even when the gyms were closed we trained outside and i I think that really keeps me balanced and happy it keeps me feeling good mentally um but also physically um yeah so that's one thing the other thing is i think the constant kind of trying to find that that balance I think between sunshine like fresh air connection with others cat hugs all these sorts of things um keep me feeling really good and keep me feeling happy I guess and yeah how can you not go past an animal hug I have a dog who you can probably hear barking um yeah it's just adorable to hug though I totally get that (laughs) yeah yeah. I would say the other thing I I think that's helped me find my hum is because I've been I guess planning my days time blocking the time blocking has been really really helpful for me in in helping me with a bit more balance um last year I feel like I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of seeing my clients as well and I think that is that also there's not a day that goes by when I see my clients that I don't feel good after that too. So I think having having a purpose and helping others, um, I think that really helps me with finding my harm on a daily basis too. Oh, I totally get that. Like I think every time I finish a consult, like it's almost like you have this little adrenaline type of rush thing. Like it's just, yeah, it's the most beautiful thing. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to be said for helping others and being kind to others, but it's almost like there's a two-way relationship there where, you know, as a practitioner, we're helping people, but we also get a lot out of um, the relationship with our, with our clients. Yeah. 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 It's a beautiful way to sum it up. So I've got you on to talk about thyroid because you are just a genius in this area. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Um, perspiration. (laughs) How did your love of the thyroid eventuate? Oh, so my love of the thyroid eventuated. I kind of fell into it by accident, and it was really because I was diagnosed with my own autoimmune thyroid condition. So, I mean, I I think I was subclinical for a while and before I kind of found the whole thyroid thing, but. Um, it was only having experienced my own health journey um, and, you know, I, I had, I'm pretty sure in hindsight now, I was actually just looking at old tests the other day, that I had um, Graves' disease in pregnancy that went undiagnosed and then a year after I had my daughter, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So I think, and I know I fell into knowing a lot about the thyroid because I had my own journey there and clients often say to me, um, we like seeing you apart from whatever else um, because you've experienced having the thyroid condition yourself. So all those little signs and symptoms that other people might not be aware of, um, I've, I've experienced most of those myself. So I can kind of, even though we can never walk the same path as everyone because everyone's journey is, uh, someone's, everyone's journey is different, but um, there's many shared things, I think, when you have have experienced that journey yourself. And I think too, you can very much relate, like you said, the sharing part of it, like you can relate to different parts. Yes, it's always going to be slightly different, but there is, yeah, an element of a deep understanding there that you've got. Exactly. Yeah. 
yeah, done done all the diets, experienced all the, the symptoms yeah. and yeah, and feel now really, really good, you know. So yeah. I, I almost think that falling, that getting Hashimoto's, I actually feel, I know it's sometimes it's hard to think about it as a, feeling gratitude, but I actually feel very grateful to have gotten it because I don't think that I would be in as good of a place as I am now if I hadn't changed a lot of the things that possibly contributed to me getting it in the first place. So there's this concept of um, oh, like a post-traumatic growth um, that can occur when we go through these really tough things. And, yeah, I feel like going through that experience has made me a, a better person and contributed to my growth and development. Um, yeah. That's a really nice way to look at it. Like there's a, I, I always like to look for silver linings in pretty much. <laughs> and yeah, like I'm going to generally find one, even if it's really thin. But that's it's always <laughs> nice. And sometimes when you're in it, you can't find them. But it's always, yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. that you actually see the benefit of it in the in the long run. Yeah, I think I think before I before I went through it myself, I was kind of like, oh, you know, you could just take some herbs and some selenium, and um, but you know, now having experienced it, I, I really understand all those other underlying drivers that contribute that I think sometimes get missed. But we'll talk about those when we get to them. Yeah, we will <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> The question, and um, definitely have already spoken about, like you obviously think that you might have had a misdiagnosis um, in pregnancy. Why do you think there is the prevalence of misdiagnosis or even late diagnosis for thyroid? Because that is very common. Yeah, look, oh, I find it a really, it really frustrates me. Um, I think that often people, women, have these underlying, they have signs and symptoms and, you know, they're, they're things like fatigue and weight gain and mood disturbance and sleep disturbance and changes with their cycle perhaps. And a lot of the time they're not feeling 100% but they kind of think, oh, it's just normal. And when they go to, so so first of all, I think they're not being picked up because a lot of the signs and symptoms that go along with thyroid dysfunction could be part of something else. Um, but secondly, I also think that in terms of blood work, and this was certainly my case, a lot of things get, uh, I think, are not done thoroughly enough. So a lot of people, women, are only getting their TSH tested. And we know that TSH is, is it's fine, but it's not the be-all and end-all when it comes to um I guess, picking up thyroid dysfunction so people can have normal TSH but have really low T4 and T3 or someone could have normal TSH, T4 and T3 but have elevated thyroid antibodies. And if the antibodies aren't um, tested for, then basically the research shows that those antibodies show up six or seven years before a diagnosis of Hashimoto's. Um, so... I feel like they really need to be tested. Otherwise, you've got this group of women that are suffering. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're just not, the right things aren't being tested, unfortunately. Is it because, too, with those antibodies, they have to, like, reach a certain level before it's, like, sort of ticked off as being um, an autoimmune condition where you could have those antibodies at a lower level and it still be, mm -hmm. like, a red flag to be looking at? Yeah, so I, I mean, like everyone will always have some T, for example, TP thyroperoxide peroxidase um, autoantibodies. Like our bodies always, um, there's always a little bit of loss of tolerance towards self, but it's where it gets past that those ranges, that threshold, that it becomes a problem. And, and we know um, those autoantibodies attack the thyroid, destroying it, causing um, the atrophy. So what I find with a lot of people that come to see me is that they might have normal TSH, T4 and T3, but have really, really high thyroid antibodies or above the range. And they've basically been told, oh, look, it's okay that there's nothing you can do, um, like you're fine. They don't even know, like they, they're confused. They don't even know that that's actually, that they have got an autoimmune disease, e.g. Um, Hashimoto's at that point. So I think from an allopathic perspective, there's no medication that can be given for 
high thyroid antibodies. So they have to wait till those the immune systems attack so much of the thyroid gland that the T4 and T3 um, becomes a problem because then they can give thyroxine. So you know what, I think from our perspective, if we see those thyroid antibodies there because they've been tested and they're elevated, then we can implement all these diet and lifestyle strategies that we know help to bring down the thyroid antibodies, um, thereby conserving the function of that thyroid gland. But, you know, often that is not done from an allopathic model. Unfortunately, it's, it's kind of like, oh, let's just wait and see what happens. Or even if the TSH, for example, was... Um, 4.5 or something like that and, and as a practitioner you or I would probably go okay that's not looking great um I know that some GPs will wait till the TSH is is like 8 or 10 or something like that so it's quite unpleasant for I think the the client and I, I was that client my TSH I remember was 6.5 um, and even 4.5 and 5.5, and I actually felt quite terrible at that point, far worse than when it was a lot higher. And I was never prescribed any or advised on any diet or lifestyle advice or any sort of medication or anything. It was just kind of kind of like, oh, well, let's just wait and see, come back um, in six months and we'll retest again. And, of course, not much is probably going to change. If, if I didn't change anything, I can't imagine that my levels would have gotten better at all. Um, so I actually felt quite terrible from a mental health perspective and definitely from an energy perspective when my levels were, when my TSH I remember was 5.5 and, and 6, far worse than when my levels were much, much worse years later. And also, you know, other markers like reverse T3, which I don't tend to test a lot of now, but I do see the value in it. A lot of these things, if we're testing the thyroid antibodies and the reverse T3 and the T3 and we're being more comprehensive um, and, and we're seeing things like neutropenia, for example, but the white blood count, that is commonly low in women that have Hashimoto's. Uh, and for me, I think that's a really good thing that, you know, there's lots of reasons someone could have neutropenia, but I see it a lot in my patients that have Hashimoto's. And so if someone has all these things present, so high thyroid antibodies, neutropenia, but their T4 and T3 are normal, it kind of can give us a indicator, okay, look, there's autoimmunity here. We can implement some diet and lifestyle strategies and try and modulate the immune system and, and put this into reverse or at least not make things worse. Um, yeah, so I, I do think a lot of the time things can be picked up quicker than waiting for that thyroid to totally malfunction and the... the the individual to feel really, really terrible, which happens a lot. The weight balloons, the, the mood kind of gets out of control. Yeah. It's hard too when you um, go to the doctors and you know you don't feel great, um, but then like these um, test results come back telling you that you are okay. And mm. yeah, you're like, but I'm not okay. Like you literally feel like rubbish. And yeah, I mean, like not a, doctor bashing at all like they have their references ranges and stuff to go on they look at different things um so yeah i would suggest if anyone is feeling a bit rubbish to yeah go and find a thyroid practitioner like yourself to maybe do some more investigating and things like that yeah. a little bit more comprehensive yeah and building upon what you said i mean sometimes you know if if all the markers are in range and everything looks good but someone's feeling terrible then maybe it's you know it's not the thyroid um but as you said if often people if they're in the range they get told they're fine but say the range for t3 is 3.5 to 6 and someone's sitting at 3.7 definitely they're going to be feeling quite rubbish i've only ever had one patient that was like oh i actually feel fine um but most other people are really going to be suffering um so just because you're in the range you know, if you're on the cusp of that, then there's still, you know, and you're feeling rubbish, there's lots that can be done. Yeah, you're not necessarily fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when you're looking, you obviously mentioned some of the um, different thyroid markers and stuff to look at, but in terms of like outside of the thyroid, is there any like other hormones or pathology and stuff that you would particularly look for? Yeah, so I love to do, as I said, I look at the white blood cells, the neutrophils, because often in autoimmune disease, 
um, we will see low neutrophils. And again, this was something I learned through my own experience of just having long-term neutropenia and just being told, oh, like that must just be you. That's just normal for you. Did you have a cold or something like that? And I never, ever got colds or flus. Um, so, yeah, neutropenia is like a common kind of alert for me when someone's coming in with thyroid stuff. Um, it's just a manifestation of the autoimmune disease. I will often test for cortisol as well and, and DHEA just to look at what someone's HPA um, kind of function is. And I guess what we mean by that is what their stress response is doing. Um, and psychological stress has been found to be a big kind of trigger for autoimmune disease. So, yeah, I'm always looking at cortisol and DHEA. Um, I do, what else do I do? I do iron and B12 and things like that just to look at energy um, absorption, um, blood sugar, and the female hormones. I can't believe I forgot about those. So I'll always do a hormone panel because sex steroids um this is something that i think a lot of clients don't realize they focus a lot on their nutrition um but the sex steroids actually can have a, a stimulating or a modulating action on the immune system so when the female hormones are out of balance um this impacts the thyroid and similarly the thyroid if it is if it is in a state of dysfunction it will impact the female sex steroid hormone so it's very much into you know interconnected um yes so i'll always do a hormone panel yeah nice i find too when you were saying about how interconnected like obviously you spoke about cortisol with the stress response and then mm -hmm. uh, with the sex hormones mm -hmm. it's very interesting that how they work together and they can work in a downward spiral quite quickly together but if you start mm -hmm. i noticed getting everything sort of in that upward spiral, it can trigger a nice upward motion as well, which is, yeah, I think some people would think like, I don't want them to hear that and be like, oh, you know, it's like this horrible feedback loop, but it also works in the other way too, where it can be a positive feedback loop once we get things on the right track. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, so you did speak to about um, like possibly reversing or at least um, slowing mm -hmm. down some of the um, the thyroid sort of autoimmunity. What are like some things that you would tell clients to help looking at reversing their thyroid condition? Sure. So I, I actually really believe that you can put your autoimmune disease into remission. I, I truly believe that because I, I have done that myself. Um, and definitely, you know, there will be times when you flare and, and it, it reactivates and whatever, but it's just about understanding what your personal underlying drivers were. So, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a one size fits all that works for everyone. Um, otherwise, everyone would be better would be better but I, th I think it's about underlying uh, understanding those underlying drivers so things that I think are really helpful I, and I'm going to probably not really talk so much about supplements and diet because I think um, you know you can you do that really really well but the, the things that I think are often missing um, and, and are so so powerful are things like um, connection with others and green space and um, laughter and enjoyment and all those sorts of things. And that's because going back to that, and this is particularly true for the, the patients I see because I see a lot of women who are juggling a lot and that they are they have the, the HPA access dysfunction. So we know that the hypothalamus and pituitary are involved with communicating down to the thyroid and the adrenals and when that communication becomes a little bit haphazard and, it, and it's usually because women are juggling multiple things like work and life and housework and cooking and oh, I've got to go to the I've got to exercise too and then I've got to meditate and I've got to cook from scratch and and they, they, they've just got a lot on their plate and sometimes that communication down to the thyroid and the adrenals can just become the you can basically be put into more of a sympathetic dominant state so 
when we're doing all the nice things, the, the things that are grounding and pleasurable to us, and that is like that is the walking the dog and the dog hugging us and the cat and connecting with people that we like and spending time out in nature, that's when we're usually in more of a present and grounded state. And so we can't be in sympathetic dominance when we're doing those things. And so that creates a, a, a nicer, more relaxed feedback from the hypothalamus and the pituitary to the thyroid and the adrenals. And essentially what the research is showing is that psychological stress can cause the immune system to become disrupted because we have to think, why does the immune system decide one day that it wants to just attack different parts of the body? And high stress is, is one is one reason not the only but one is it is one profound reason i find in clinic so the more that we can trick the body out of that sns dominance which you know initially can be hard because women can't just leave their jobs and stop cooking and cleaning we all have these responsibilities that that need to be done but how can we implement these little pockets of rest in the day where we have this recalibration and grounding of the brain um so that it's it's being put into more of that parasympathetic dominant state. So I'm recommending things like, okay, um, when it's morning tea time and lunch time and afternoon tea and after you finish work, have 10 minutes at, at those times to just recenter. Maybe that's a cup of tea or, or even a coffee, what doesn't really matter, um, outside in the garden. Maybe it's lying on your floor in a star, sh star shape and just breathing and, you know, having five minutes of doing nothing maybe it's listening to a song maybe it's smelling an oil um anything that is just grounding and, and brings you back to your body state i think so that's one thing um the other thing i think as i touched on before that i think is really really important is the balancing the female hormones because they play such a big part in autoimmune disease, um, particularly for women, we see, a, I think, well, we we'll, can't remember the specific stats, but women have a much higher incidence of Hashis and Graves' disease compared to men. So we know the sex steroids have a part to play. So balancing hormones, I think, is a really big deal, um, particularly if you're one of those women that notes an exacerbation in the week before their period um, in that luteal phase. Um, and then outdoor time. You know, sunshine, um, I think, is really important. We know vitamin D, super, super important for modulating the immune system, totally different um, to what you'd get in a supplement. So I'm really big on actually getting outside and changing the lifestyle because if, if we're not changing the lifestyle and trying to get more sun, again, that means, oh, my gosh, I've got to take a break. At morning tea, I've got to take my lunch break. I'm not going to just sit in front of my desk all day. Um it means that we're not reliant on a supplement for the rest of our life, right? Which I don't think anyone wants to do forever, take lots and lots of supplements. No, it's interesting. I literally had a conversation. I was laying on the beach yesterday mm -hmm. and we were talking about vitamin D and they've said that's like about supplement or like the sun. And I'm like, it's always going to be better getting it from the sun because like your way your body converts it and it's just so mm -hmm. like nice than being outside than, yeah, just, I don't know, popping a pill. For me, it just, it's the whole lot, isn't it? Like you said, with the, when you're yeah. outdoors, it just gives something extra. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that vitamin D and, and sunshine are the same thing, but they're absolutely not. And we get so much more from, from that outdoorness than vitamin D. We're getting the light therapy, which has been shown to increase serotonin. Like there, there's so much more to it. And I, I think I, I certainly experience in, in my clinic, people are like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just take a vitamin D supplement. But it's not the same as getting outside and I think I think you probably think the same that we're really wanting to change our lifestyle habits that are that are detrimental to us like it's it's really important that we are outside as human beings I think we're meant to be exposed to light you know for more than like 10 or 15 minutes just to be well so yeah yeah and it does like you said take some time to change that and build it into your life like I've now very luckily been able to like I love having Mondays to myself and I know it's like a strange day of the week and everyone <laughs> thinks like a Monday like why would you not Sunday and I'm like 
well for me like Monday's ruled by the moon so it's that like really emotional part of us and like you know to start the day watching sunrise and go for a swim or something like that like I really find that and I like to protect that part of my day but it didn't happen like instantly like I've had to work to be able to make that happen and you know occasionally I don't get it but that's fine but yeah I really when, when you've got those moments and I mm. with you like when you said at the beginning like all those things that you've now built into your life it's really mm. nice to try and protect those yeah I feel like you know as individuals we have to if we if we don't want to be in the same place that we were when we were unwell and we were stressed and everything was falling apart, then we have to change things in our lifestyle. We can't, like I, I take thyroxine now, thyroid medication, but I know that if I just took thyroxine and I didn't move my body, I didn't prioritise, like for me, sleep is really important. I, I didn't prioritise my nutrition and so on, then I wouldn't, I'd probably fall apart. I know I would. Um, so I have to make that it's important to me and I prioritise those things. Um, so, yeah, I think when you make a dis, like when when you when something's important, you'll do it. If it's not, then it, it won't be a priority and, and that's fine too. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, we have to change things that aren't working. Otherwise, nothing changes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And what you were saying before, like when you were listing off all the things that um, women have to do in their days, and mm-hmm. I often will frame it to a lot of my clients that rather than saying stress, because they're like, oh, you know, I'm not stressed because they think mm-hmm. it's a stressful event. I'm like, yeah, but are you feeling pressure or overwhelm? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, that is probably worse than a stressful event because it's this continual cycle yeah, that you can't same. get out of. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I found it really interesting that being in this kind of working from home environment, I've I really have really enjoyed it. Um, and when I had to drive, I can't remember where I drove the other day, back into the city, and there was traffic, and I was <laughs> swearing. Um, <laughs> this is like stop, start, and all the time. And my daughter was like, "Oh my gosh, she's like so terrible, mum." But I realised that I was in this sympathetic dominant state because I was having to stop, start all the time, and 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 make sure like I didn't run over people, and there were crazy drivers on the road, and and so on. And I think we get used to our running on this kind, being in this SNS state, it just becomes our norm. We don't, we don't know. And it's only when we're not like that for a while that we go, oh, actually that was kind of wild and uh, I was doing it but I, and I thought I was fun at the time but in hindsight now I'm like, oh, my gosh, what the hell was I doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a, you've explained that so well. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because like you kind of don't know that you're in it until you come out or, and then you've come out of it and maybe you go back in it again. You're like, oh my goodness. Like, yeah, you don't notice the change until, like you said, something else changes. Yeah. And I think, you know, doing the blood test is actually really useful to see what your cortisol and see what your DHEA are actually like, because a lot of the time we think we're, coping and we think we're you know I'm not stressed I'm not stressed and it's because you know our body's very clever we adapt to stress like that's what we're supposed to do but as you mentioned when we're understanding that prolongs prolonged stresses over a long period our body will adapt but it doesn't mean that it likes doing it and when we see that low-end DHEA or we see that low-end cortisol or we see really high cortisol our body's adapting but it doesn't like it. Um, and I think when that shows up on the bloods, it can be a really, really useful tool to know that, oh, I'm doing it, but there's only so long I can actually do this for before everything falls apart. Yeah. I was that client. Superwoman and I used to like and I will often say I used to wear my superwoman as like a badge of honor like I could do everything and then yeah I remember my nutritionist I was seeing like did the um I did the saliva test for cortisol and it was like you know it's meant to be like ski ramp and mine was this massive hill 
that live on the hill and it actually literally the side scale had to be increased because I just went crazily high and it wasn't until I saw that and I was like oh okay <laughs> yeah maybe I'm not coping and because yeah when you're type a go 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 you just think you can keep going <laughs> yeah yeah and I think you know I actually got I got COVID um over Christmas and it was I, I think it was actually quite so unusual for me to ever have 10 days of, I don't think I've ever done it in my life, 10 days of being forced to stay at home and I lay on the couch and I just watch trashy Netflix. Um, and it was so good for me. I've never felt so revitalised coming out of that, which I don't think anyone says coming out of COVID, but I was like, wow, I feel like a new, new woman because... I never have the opportunity to take that much time off from not working or do as, as a mother too. Like I have to, it sounds terrible, I have to, but I, I'm always like doing stuff, activities and things like that. So 10 days of just pure rest was um, unbelievable. And I think a lot of women when they're running their own businesses or or even if they're not working, they're doing other things, it's rare for any of us to just have not to be doing nothing for that amount of time um you almost feel actually, guilty don't you yeah well yeah I just I just think there's always responsibilities unless you were to go to a retreat or something like that for 10 days which is very unaffordable for most people um it's just I, I only thought about this because I was thinking oh we we make the recommendation I, I make the recommendation to clients okay well you know let's try and do less and so on but the reality of that is sometimes a little bit difficult when you've got responsibilities like work and so on it's it's very rare for someone to be able to just say to work oh I'm taking 10 days leave to not do anything because when we holiday we go, we trek around and we're doing stuff and that's enjoyable too, but you're still, I don't know, we're still doing, I just, it's different, but I just thought, oh, when do we, when does anyone ever get the opportunity to not do anything for yeah. such a long time? And out of that, do you have any good Netflix recommendations then? Well, I watched, oh my God, I watched this, this is how relaxed I was. I watched Housewives of Sydney from like four years ago, I think it was, and it's super trashy. It's like these really rich women who fight with each other. It's like reality TV. Um, it was so good because it was because I ha actually had quite bad fatigue and and brain fog. It was it was all I could watch, like something really light. Um, yeah, I smashed all the episodes um, very quickly, much to my daughter's disgust. Um, it was great. So that's, that's my recommendation. No no um, documentaries or anything hardcore like that. No, it's Real Housewives of Sydney. <laughs> you say that because I literally had put on um, Instagram that I was watching Too Hot to Handle and I had comments. <laughs> and I was just like, you don't understand. Like I literally don't have to use my brain watching it and I love that about that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can understand that. Okay, um, I just want to go through a couple of like sort of things that I've seen in clinic and maybe you can sort of put them together a little bit more, um, obviously, because if I'm seeing it, I feel like there's a bit out there. Um, I actually do um, some consulting still over in England with um, a personal trainer and he trains a lot of um, people, men and women, um, sort of over the age of 50. And mm. I find a lot of the women... Um, postmenopausal um, are also on thyroxine and I find mm. that very very common um, but they're still having trouble like losing weight and you know struggling with the energy and all that kind of stuff and I'm just wondering if you could sort of talk to that sort of or, or is there a sort of a pattern between menopause and that thyroid and like why they would be on the thyroxine like has that got to do with the sex hormones with their dropping and stuff like that in menopause yeah so I think um you know just women generally we see quite a high incidence of Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and we see it aggravate in those pivotal I guess times of women's lives um at adolescence 
um, sometimes in, like in pregnancy, post, uh, post birth, and then again at um, menopause. And that is exactly what you said. You're seeing the sex hormones having a really big role to play there. Those big, big kind of ups and downs of estrogen um, and also then the, the involvement of cortisol and so on. Um, which tends to be quite high. I think for a, a lot of perimenopausal women, again, are juggling a, a lot of different things. Um, and so if there's been a previous history of depletion, that can kind of all just come together. Um, but in terms of menopause and not being able to lose weight and that low energy, yes, it can be the thyroid, even if someone's on thyroxine, because we know that thyroxine is is just T4 medication, but we need to make sure, you know, is our client converting the T4 to T3 um, properly? Because someone could have really like fine T4, but still have low T3. I actually um, find if, that really hard to get tested from people. Yeah. In the like, yeah, because yeah. that's something that I, oh, I try and explain that to them. I'm like, you know, you still yeah. need to do that conversion. But yeah, it's actually really hard to be able to get that T3 oh. tested over there. Oh, that's frustrating because if that's the case, you know, the energy and is going to be low, the weight's not going to come off at all. Um, and I, I guess there's a few kind of other factors there that, that could be part of it too with the, the low energy and the weight gain at menopause is that estrogen's going to be, you know, at its lowest point too. So uh, estrogen is actually really, really important for um metabolism and for where our, our kind of our body composition I should say so when we're seeing these really big highs and then lows um, and, and then the ongoing low that actually increases fat deposition on the tummy and the bottom and the thighs so while a lot of women may think it's their thyroid it's, it's often also the low end estrogen too um, because I get a lot of women in perimenopause who are like I haven't changed my diet I haven't um, changed my exercise and suddenly my body shape has changed and it's to do with that lower estrogen. Um, testosterone and things like that will also play a part. So my recommendation there is to check what's happening to the thyroid. Is the T3 at the, you know, the level that it needs to be for that metabolism to be running well? Because you know if someone's got that not enough T3, they could be eating lettuce and they will still be gaining weight. My second is check the east. Well, you know, it's not check the estrogen because if they're postmenopausal, the estrogen will be low. But there I'm I'm usually suggesting all the phytoestrogens for my clients. So everyone gets, you know, the three tablespoons of ground flaxseed every day, um, miso, tempeh, um, edamame, trying to include more of those. And there's some really good studies actually um, in in women but also uh, studies on rats and mice and so on which is so mean but they basically um like take out their ovaries and then they they gain fat um and then they give them hrt and then they lose all all the fat um so not that we're suggesting someone goes on hrt but it's really about it tells us that estrogen is really, really important for body composition. And while a lot of women think estrogen is the bad guy, it's actually not when it's in the right amount to metabolize properly. And I find too, like you said, when um, you have people coming in, they're like, I haven't changed my eating and I haven't changed my exercise, but then they start to. So they start to eat less and exercise mm -hmm. more. And then you keep telling the thyroid that it is quite stressful out there and yeah it's almost like you then perpetuate that problem again don't you and I often have to tell people I'm like can you please can we eat more <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because it is such a huge problem I actually saw a lady just like this um this week in clinic and I think yeah there is the inclination to go oh my gosh I'm gaining weight so I'm going to eat less but not to as we know, that actually causes the thyroid to slow down when it's not getting the nutrients it requires. So, you know, we we can eat a lot more, but it needs to be more nutritious food. So lots of vegetables, lots of fruits and things like that, because often the metabolism is slowing down because it doesn't have those nutrients to help it work properly. So I kind of liken it to a car. If, if we had like a 20-year-old car and we were just trying to like race around in it, 
all the bits are going to start clunking off and not working efficiently if we're not servicing it regularly. So um, the thyroid's just like that. If it's not getting the nutrients it requires, it's just going to slow down and, and not do what we require it to do. So we want to service it by giving it lots of good, good nutrients um, and no intermittent fasting or anything wild like that. Again, I tend to hear this a lot from clients. They're like, I'm gaining weight. I'm going to start fasting. And by that, they mean they're just going to drink a couple of coffees in the morning and then eat their first meal at one o'clock or three o'clock. And it's not even going to be a proper meal. The thyroid hates that. The thyroid likes boring, routine, stable, predictable. Um, yeah. Also, um, in terms of intermittent fasting, I find um, it also likes carbohydrates. Do you find that too? Like people that go super, super low carb, like obviously you don't want to like overdo it, but yeah, like mm. keto or really low mm. carb, I've yeah. found that can skew it with a bit a little as well. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, like I'm not anti-intermittent fasting or keto or anything like that if it's done the right like done in a healthy manner but definitely for women who have thyroid dysfunction and order and and hormone dysfunction as well i do find that it generally doesn't suit them well um and the carbohydrates being so low tends to be a bit of a problem so the thyroid actually needs a certain amount of carbohydrates to actually work well and when it is deprived of them um it just slows down unfortunately and so it, it's it's does the opposite of what um, a lot of women want. Um, they, they're dropping the carbs because they think that it's going to gain, they're going to gain weight, but the, by dropping the carbs, the thyroid just slows down even further. And I say this in a non-judgy way because it is exactly what I did myself when I was first diagnosed. I was gaining weight and I couldn't understand what was going on because I was exercising quite heavily. And so I just started reducing dramatically um, the amount of food that I was eating because also often when your thyroid's not working well your appetite tends to be quite low but I was literally putting on a kilo every couple of days not eating much so I know that for a lot of women um, it's really not about eating less it's actually about eating more of the right stuff when you've got a thyroid issue um, and eating less will is totally counterproductive unfortunately yeah. you almost need to look at your food as well I, I do that now I don't I think I you can't help but look at food in a different way once you've done like studies mm. and stuff like um mm. we have where yeah it doesn't just become I suppose like eating kale or carrots or stuff like that. you actually look at and you think oh I'm getting a really healthy you know healthy dose of folate or like vitamin <laughs> A and beta carotene like you literally like you look at it differently like you look at it as as fuel and like really good nourishment for the body rather than just oh I have to eat and I think once you I don't know can look at your food like that and appreciate it it does take on um such a better meaning and like you want to then nourish your body in such a, a beautiful way yeah you know I I struggled with my weight a lot prior to I mean even as a young child like I weigh now what I weighed when I was in year six as a, as a grown adult now um and then i and my diet wasn't particularly healthy that's why i was overweight when i was little but then I, and then i lost the weight as a teen gained it all again when i was at uni the first time and miserable so i had this long history of weight going up and down and a really poor relationship with food as i think a lot of people do when they before they study nutrition and that's what kind of makes us gravitate towards that yeah. and it was only after going through this whole thyroid experience myself and that I actually learned that, you know, generally we should be able to eat what we want within reason. Like, you know, you should be able to eat a burger. You should be able to eat the chips and the pizza, not all in the same day, but, you know, like it, it, you should be able to eat everything and not gain weight if you're just eating a little bit like that kind of 80-20 rule. Um it's really about what your hormones are doing, like how well your metabolism is working. And if your metabolism is working well, then you won't balloon. But if you've got low thyroid hormones and high stress hormones and high insulin, that's where it becomes a problem. So um, now I enjoy everything and I try and get my patients to do so as well because I actually think it's more about how the the hormones are working and, and, your, and your metabolism than, than anything else. That's, that's kind of 
said that in a convoluted way, but. No, um, I totally get that. I mean, like, obviously when I, again, like when I wasn't very well and you have to, like you've said, you've done all the diets and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I definitely have tried quite a few, like to my gut health and like my skin and like you are, some of those are quite restrictive and you need to be for a certain period of time, but they're not a forever thing. And like, now that I am like better, <laughs> quote unquote, um, yeah, it's so nice that then you, and it brings back so much enjoyment in your life where you can say yes to going out um, with your friends and you don't have to worry about, oh, what's going to be there? Because it is one meal out of maybe a whole week or two week period. And it's just nice to not have to think about it where sometimes in that healing part you do have to think about it for a while but yeah the goal is to just get back to I think you've said it quite a few times it's like that enjoyment of life in, a, in its totality not just yeah, breaking it down into little parts yeah yeah and I, do you know what like even though we're nutritionists that's what I often find missing in my patients wellness is that they've got they've often got the dietary component like they're, they're not doing a terrible job, um, but it's the other things that are missing, the enjoyment factor and the connection with others and the nature time and, and that aspect. Um, and also sleep too, um, which is really, really important for thyroid function. So, you know, often I'm, as a holistic practitioner, I'm working on all those things. And, and when we're when we're more relaxed and when we're having fun and we're not in that SNS dominance and we're getting enough sleep, it makes everything else easier, right? The dietary choices become easier to make because when we're super stressed and we haven't had enough sleep, that's when it's easier for us to reach for takeaway every single night instead of just like one or two times. Um, Yeah, so I don't think I talked too much about sleep, but we know from the research that shift workers have a much higher incidence of autoimmune disease and I certainly see this with my clients that that aren't getting better as quickly as I would expect um they're the ones that are shift working and not getting enough sleep so that would be my other thing to make sure that we're getting enough rest and that doesn't mean like eight hours of sleep because you're getting you're going to sleep at one and sleep until like 10 10 a.m it's actually kind of trying to go to sleep with nature's normal rhythms um, because our immune cells have their own circadian clock it's crazy um, but different hormones are released at different times over over the night and during the day so if we're still awake at midnight then our body can't revitalize and heal in the same way it could if we were going to bed a bit earlier i also you talk to that yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) the when you were saying about like getting outside too I will often um get people and more so if I'm like trying to get their sex hormones back um but now I've just as speaking to you um re-triggered my memory about how important the sex hormones and thyroid are together but like going out and um like looking at um, particularly the moon of an evening and just like reconnecting with that, like obviously as women with our moon cycles and stuff, like just spending that even two or three minutes before bed, like just going outside, looking up. I mean, if you've got the ability to, I know not everyone has got like grass space that they can, but, you know, standing in the grass as you do that um, can be like a really beautiful thing and like you said with being able to get that really nice nourishing sleep it's also a nice little trigger to tell your body hey it's dark the stars are out the moon's out this is our bedtime yeah totally and you know for me I'm, I'm all about the sun and the green space in the day and I, I at night I I get hooked into my phone and the computer and then I'm like oh it's time for bed and I go to bed but I, I got a cat about a year and a half ago and he we know cats are like more night orientated. And so I have been, I haven't actually done this for a couple of weeks, but he's got I put him on his lead and I take him outside for a little walk and he he doesn't like to like walk too far just around our front garden. But I can see the stars. And for years I haven't seen the stars because I was living in a unit and then when I don't know, when I had a small child, I was just too tired. I would just go straight to bed and not not be outside. But literally having the cat and having to go outside, it is 
it takes my breath away seeing the stars, seeing the night and the stars. And I, I think the more we do those sort of, it's it's crazy, right? Because it's just nature, but like it's it's something we totally miss often because we're inside our house or we're on the computer or on the phone. Um, yeah, but breathtaking, and I felt I felt like I was releasing all this serotonin and having this moment outside with the cat just from seeing the stars it was crazy yeah well I mean I suppose I go out every night because I put my dog out to go Mm. to the bathroom before um we settle down for the night so yeah I um yeah and then I have I mean I would have just usually opened the back door kicked her out but I've made a really conscious effort to go out and even if the clouds are out um which you know they have been on and off quite recently I still make a point of just standing out and looking up because there is still a difference to the light that's around at that time and yeah signaling to your body to I don't know it's it start its wind down it's like a little trigger for me to make sure that I'm getting some good night's sleep and I also have an alarm on my phone to say turn off my screens because I'm also bad with that and it literally beeps at me and I will off sometimes ignore it so I'm not perfect at it either um but yeah at least I do that one little thing to help <laughs> yeah I have one too 10 10 o'clock it's like the alarm goes off to say it is time to wind down well time to go to bed um but going back to what you were saying just then about even when the clouds are out even that in itself is absolutely beautiful sometimes seeing those clouds move I I remember being outside and seeing them and thinking wow like we learned about all those clouds I remember at school and I can't I only remember like cumulus I think is one of them but I I think often we can become so detached from nature and in what's happening and you know I think we are inherently connected to nature so even those little rituals I would say they are um can be super grounding and connecting and probably really modulating to our immune systems if you have an autoimmune condition or anything like that. Yeah, it was when you said about like how your immune system has its own little rhythm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mm-hmm. like it does, like I'm big on that. Like we are definitely connected to everything around us. So mm-hmm. being able to connect in with nature's rhythm has to be helping mm-hmm. the rhythm that happens inside us. Mm, absolutely they're using melatonin as a supplement a lot for a number of autoimmune conditions um, because it has a modulating action on the immune system so yeah I think connecting with that circadian rhythm is really really important yeah um just quick before we finish up you did mention um when we're talking about obviously the parts of our lives where thyroid can go a little bit scurify and you did mention postpartum do you um if someone has thyroid that is going a little bit squiffy around that time is that something that you see normalizes after that postpartum period has finished or is that something that women should be I know I don't want to say like doing more stuff for because with a brand new baby, the last thing you want to be doing is more stuff for, but being conscious of certain things in that time. Yeah, I look, I I think with all of this, it's just about awareness. And I, I think I'm big on that because as I said, I went into my own pregnancy um unaware. I think and I was so sick and I wasn't in a place to be able to help myself and as I said I was diagnosed a year after I had my daughter but my thyroid was swinging around at many points before that I lost two dress sizes um, when I was breastfeeding and I thought oh wow this breastfeeding thing is just so great but you know it's actually not normal to lose two dress sizes in like a week and a half and it was just that my thyroid was was flipping around so much so I think if uh, a woman, and I've just had a client like this. Um, she's probably going to give birth in about four weeks, and she had, she has thyroid antibodies. Um, her TSH was probably around like four point five trimester one, and it's meant to be much lower than that. And she, we, we've just been doing supplements and lifestyle and diet and so on, and 
there was no thyroxine used, not that I'm against it at all. She just didn't want to use it. Um, but, you know, everything's looking really, really good now coming into about to give birth. But I've said to her, you need to be all over this and super aware of what's going on. I want you to retest in six weeks um, at four months and again at six months because when when a woman is pregnant, she goes into more of an immune suppressed state to stop her from uh, like rejecting the baby and so on. And so the autoimmune disease often reduces because of that immune suppressant uh, immune suppressed state. So after she gives birth, um, usually around the four month period, everything can kind of rejig um, with gusto back to the previous state. So it is a prime time for thyroid dysfunction to take place, as is the first six weeks even. Um, so looking for changes in mood, changes in um, temperature. And for me, like I just remember being at the hospital and just sweating profusely and had the worst body odour, I didn't realise I was totally hyperthyroid. Um, you know, palpitations, things like that. Like a, a lot of women experience palpitations. When I'm talking to them, I say, oh, do you suffer from palpitations? Do you get night sweats? And they're like, oh, yeah. Um, but they, they're just so busy doing other things that it isn't, it doesn't, it's not a priority, right? They, they, st they don't feel like they're dying. Um, so they don't do anything about it. So I think it's just about being really aware of all the different signs and symptoms and getting onto it as soon as possible, um, like straight away, really. Um, the other thing I should say around that postpartum thyroid triggering is that postpartum depression Um Obviously, it is a big thing, one in 10 women, I think. Um, but sometimes that postpartum depression is actually just thyroid dysfunction. So it's very, very common to suffer from flat mood, melancholy, not coping um, with inadequate thyroid hormones because, because T3, for example, assists with transmission of serotonin and dopamine. So not enough T3 will equal bad mood, flat mood, high anxiety and so on. So sometimes if the thyroid is corrected, then that all goes away. So, you know, sometimes it totally is postpartum depression, but sometimes it's thyroid dysfunction. Yeah, that's mm. actually a really good point um, to make. Yeah, just And I suppose maybe even if you're, you know, know that you're about to go into a bit of a hectic state with a newborn, even asking your partner or your mom or someone close to you to also look out for those signs for you. Cause like you said, sometimes when you're so in it, especially if you do have a little one that's, you know, maybe not sleeping or has colic or, you know, all of those things that can happen with um, little ones yeah, to have maybe, yeah. If you know that that thyroid is an issue, yeah, have a little support team around you. I, I think that's so important. I, and I, again, something that often gets missed because I think when women are pregnant, they're taking the prenatal and they might be having like a, hopefully they're having like a nice massage once a month or they might be doing pregnancy yoga and all that sort of stuff. And then when you have the baby, it's often so different because you've got a, some, a baby that's completely reliant on you and you're sleep deprived and suddenly they stop take and I say this with like I was exactly the same but don't do as I do um <laughs> so I, I you know you stop taking the multi you stop doing everything and but now is actually a time when you need to be doing your supplements and everything probably the most because you sleep deprived you've got a small child etc so my big recommendation around that is to do all the subs like they're actually really really important then and and the food and so on and the support team yeah yeah, that's great. I just realised we're acting an hour already. This has gone so, oh. <laughs> so good. I love it when that happens. It means we've had juicy conversations. Um, so I might have to, I mean, there's not even, um, I could talk to you more about thyroid, but there's also other subjects. So I'll definitely think I'll have to get you back on. <laughs> um, but one subject um, question I'd like to ask is what is currently sparking your curiosity? Because I know that you like just love thyroid and hormones and all that kind of stuff. So what is what's currently got you juicing at the moment? Yeah, I'm really, I, I, I'm really interested in how our things that I look at are really about how neurotransmitters in, influence our hormones. That's what I'm really interested in, like the relationship between 
um, they could like neuroendocrinology essentially. Yeah, um, yeah how the, the different neurotransmitters and hormones interact together, particularly when I look at the menstrual cycle and so on, and I see and I experience myself a change in my mood and cognition and so on around specific types of times of the cycle like what's going on there and how can I use I'm always interested in understanding better how can I use diet and lifestyle particularly lifestyle to tweak things there because I think it's really empowering when it's not something we have to take like it's something we do that is often pleasurable like like going green space and connection and stuff like that like how can we use those to to make things better in our lives so that's what I'm interested in. I think the good thing too, like I said, with being empowered is when mm. you a supplement or anything, um, it's something that you personally can do. But it also, generally, most of that stuff doesn't come with a cost either. So it's mm. not like there's no prohibition, no, it's not prohibitive of anyone being able to do it. Like you said, like going out into green space, like even if you live in the city, there are still pockets of green space that you yeah. can go to generally at some stage, like, um yeah so I think that is what's so empowering then rather than just having to take supplements or stuff all the time yeah and it feels good right like it feels nice to to feel the sun on your body or to see to see a butterfly or to see a caterpillar climbing up a a branch or something like they're they're the things that make you stop and you're in the moment and I I think that those things that take your breath away and that provide that awe, like I think they're the most beautiful moments of life for me. And I think too, like when you give yourself five, ten, you know, or like me, like my whole day on my Monday, it is mm-hmm. about actually showing to yourself that you're worth it and that like you're giving yourself a bit of love and stuff back. And again, that is empowering. Like you don't need anybody else or like you literally can give that to yourself and I think that is also what is missing for a lot of women too they just Mm -hmm. give 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 and Mm -hmm. not a lot of that is being directed back yeah absolutely and that's right I I agree I agree not of it not a lot of it is directed back is what I'm seeing with clients and understanding that that they have to be kind to themselves is a really, really important part of being well. I think that's something else I'm interested in, like kindness and gratitude and things like that and the effects that that can have on our overall health and well-being. And there's studies that show, like, when we are kind to others, that actually makes us healthier. Like, I just think it's just so cool to to do to read things and understand those things it doesn't have to come from an outside supplement or herb or yeah there's so much more to wellness than than that mm. yeah that's why I love what we do mm, yeah me too okay so can you let listeners know where they can find you how they can work with you and anything good that you've got coming up Sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Lisa Costabier Naturopath or on my website at www.lisacostabiernaturopath.com. Um, and yeah, I, I'm around in the Sutherland Shire <laughs> in Sydney. Um, but I'd love to connect with anyone that wants to know more about anything we've talked about. I'll put links um, for that in the show notes too so people can find you nice and easy. Thank you so much for this, Lisa. It's been absolutely wonderful. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it. <laughs>